Come on, how's everybody doing this morning? Good? Man, I know the people of Ghana are going to be in good hands with Dr. Penny because when we are in Tijuana and I had the Tijuana tummy, man, she ministered to me. And the squirts went away, man. So, Ghana, you're in good hands. Somebody. Who's having a good summer so far? How many people have been enjoying this series in the book of Acts? Come on, how many people here last week for Pastor Ben's message on a city-reaching church? Come on, if you haven't heard that talk, I'd encourage you, go to iTunes, type in First Assembly Church, look for the little logo, hit subscribe, and listen to that word because it will challenge you and inspire you and build you up for where this house is going. So I'd encourage you to listen to that. And one of the things he said last week, one of the things that just the Lord highlighted to me was he said that we're called to be an un Unstoppable church. Everybody say unstoppable. And it, it was, I, I, it stuck out to me. I'm like, okay, Lord, I think, I, I think you want me to speak on that next week. And I want to look at this morning what it takes to be an unstoppable church. Because the church is not called just to chill and hang out. It's called to storm the gates of hell. And that equals us getting out of our seats and doing something about it. And oftentimes, we can be stopped in our own self, but together we can become unstoppable. I want to look at that, and we're going to jump into the text, and it's in Acts chapter 4, and if you have your Bibles, you can open up to it, uh, but I'll read it for you guys, and it's up on the screen, but I want to set up basically what's going on, tell you guys a little bit about the context, what's happening in the story. So basically, a chapter before, Peter and John, they're all fired up. The Holy Spirit came down, poured into their lives. Matt, Peter's preached, and he saw 3,000 people get saved, and they're still all fired up. And uh, they, they, they go to the synagogue, and they see this man at the gate, and it was called the gate called Beautiful. Maybe you've heard this story, and he was crippled since birth. So he's like, hey, you got some change, basically, and they're like, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Pick up your mat and walk. How many people would love to do that someday? I'd always like love to be like, yeah, I got no cash, but pick up your mat and walk. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be incredible. So he got, he got miraculously healed, and he's basically jumping, dancing, telling the whole town, I'm healed. And everybody knew that he was a cripple. So what happened was Peter started preaching again, and over 5,000 men it records got saved. That's just the men, let alone women and children. Thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus, and the people of that day, the rulers of that day, they didn't like it. There was an uprising happening. And so they put them in prison. They threw them in prison. Imagine going to prison for preaching. If anybody in here has done that, I want to hear about it because that would be wild. But we'll pick up the story in verse 7. And they're on trial. So when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He's the stone which you rejected, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Everybody say, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men in which we must be saved. Verse 13, and this is what I want to talk about this morning. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, remember that word, confidence. 
as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and learn together with each other as a family. God, we thank you that you want to speak to hearts this morning. And Father, I pray that you would open up hearts so that there wouldn't be a hard shell over it, blocking what the word you want to speak into them this morning. Because God, I believe that you want to change lives this morning. God, I believe that you want to sow into people a desire to change the world and to make history, God. So Father, would our hearts be open for what you want to do. God, we love you and we honor you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. All right, turn to the person and say, hey, you look good this morning. Turn, turn to the other person that, you know, they're probably all insecure now and tell them they look good too. The question I have for us is actually about that last thing I said. How many people in here, I have a question, how many people in here have ever felt insecure before? Okay, a few of us. I'm not alone. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever felt like not confident about yourself? Or like you doubted yourself? I think that's one thing that all of us, as we've already admitted, we, man, we, we deal with. We're, if we're just honest, we deal with this stuff. There's things about ourselves that we don't like. There's things that we could wish we could change. I mean, how many people here have stood in front of a mirror and said, oh, yo, wish I was a little skinnier. I've definitely said that. I eat too many Big Macs, but, you know, or maybe you're like, I wish I had bigger muscles, or I wish I, I wish I had, who said this, straight hair over curly hair. Has anybody said that? I've said it. Or curly hair for, over straight hair. Like, we've, we've been there before, and we've been insecure about ourselves, and, and we, we struggle with this. this. This reality plagues the world. Insecurity and doubt. It plagues the world. And, and, if we're just honest, what also plagues the world is comparison that sows in insecurity. Man, we look at other people's houses or cars or jobs or families or abilities or degrees. We're like, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. It plagues our world. And I remember a time in my life that this plagued me. Man, when I grew up, I got bullied a lot, and I was super insecure about myself. I thought nobody liked me except my mom. My dad, sometimes I wondered. I'm just kidding. My dad loves me, but I, I, I didn't think anyone liked me. I was a little chubby. I was the Christian kid at school, and, and I, I got bullied a lot, and I wouldn't fight back or anything. So back in the day, and maybe still to this day for some of you, it's like, if you, if you don't have the rocking body or the great charm that most people have in this room like you guys, what you got to do is, man, you got to work for your approval from people. So simplest way to do that is to, man, who's, who likes good fashion in here, good style? Nobody? All right. Well, I, I was like, well, that's the only thing I knew how to do was dress good. So I'm like, back in the day when I was about 12 years old, I was like, the thing to wear was these things called tearaway pants. How many people remember tearaways? Oh, they're amazing. They are practical. Like, if you ever had, like, if you ever had to change in your gym shorts, just whip them off. If you ever had to, like, go to the bathroom and, you know, do your thing, boom, whip them off. Or if you're ever with your lady and things are going well, feeling good, just bam, whip them off. Or, I mean, your wife. And, uh, you know, they were, they were practical. 
They were so practical. I love these things until one day I was playing soccer, and I went for a slide tackle, and the buttons literally shredded my leg like a cheese grater. And I was still insecure about myself because they were all bloody and stuff. So later on in my life, I moved on to bigger and better things. I'm like, oh, still got to fit in. Still got to be cool. Still got to have people to like me. So back in, back in college, there was these jeans called nudies. And they were super expensive. And you didn't wash them, so they smelled bad. But they looked really good. They made your, your lower physique look amazing. So I'm like, I got to get me a pair of these. And uh, so I, I saved up all my pennies again and bought some. And I was feeling good. I was feeling on the top of the world. And then I was in chapel one day in college, in Bible school. And, you know, this is a dangerous prayer. I'd encourage most of you to pray it, or all of you, in fact, at one point in your life or all the time. But I, I prayed this prayer because I'm like, I want to grow. I want to become a better Christian. I want, and I want to, you know, like, I want to I be better. So my like, God, is there anything in, your, in my life that offends you? Has anybody prayed that prayer before? It's scary. Because it's like, oh, you're asking me? All right, I'll tell you. God's very straight with that. He likes to convict people in a loving way, of course. Not condemn, convict. But he's like, James, the thing that offends me in your life is your genes. I'm like, huh? I'm like, what? Just because I look good in these bad boys? That offends you, God? I'm like, he's like, well, here's the thing. You get your confidence from the clothes you wear. You get your, like, your, like, identity from the way you look and the people you fit in with. And he's like, when are you going to leave that behind and find yourself in something greater? And maybe for you this morning, it's not jeans, it's not just clothes, but maybe it's your career that you find your confidence in. Maybe it's your spouse that you find your confidence in. I got a hot wife. I definitely feel good about it. And maybe it's your... Maybe it's your, your degree, your PhD, that you're like, what's up? I'm legit, confident, got a PhD. You know, whatever it is for you this morning, I feel like God's asking us the same question. When are we going to find ourselves, our identity in something greater? Greater than a bank account, greater than a house in Arizona, greater than anything material that's never going to last any longer than this lifetime. When are we going to find ourselves? Where are we going to find our identity? Where are we going to find our self-confidence? So I want to take a look at this story again because I see this kind of confidence in Peter and John that I want. Let's just be honest here. First off, I mean, seeing and knowing a guy that's been crippled his whole life and then having the confidence to go up and pray, shoot, that's intense. Like, <clears throat> I was at the mall the other day and I saw a guy with a broken arm. I'm like, I kind of walked by him, I'm like, oh, shoot, I feel like God wants me to pray for those nerve-wracking, and I just, like, went up and prayed. Didn't see, like, a crazy miracle, but I did see God touch his heart, and he's like, really? People can pray for me? Really? God heals? So it was a cool moment, but it was nerve-wracking. Like, like, these guys have some confidence in their God, that their God can heal people. And then second off, imagine preaching in front of 5,000 people or more. Like, public speaking is the number one fear next to death. There's some confidence that's going on. So we got to ask the question, where did they get that confidence? Because the scripture clearly points out they didn't get it from their education. They were pretty dumb. I think the Bible says that. Or Dr. Luke, who was writing Acts, probably is like, ha-ha, they were uneducated. The Bible could have left that out, but I feel like Luke just wanted to poke fun at them. They were uneducated. The people noticed that they were stupid and untrained. I mean, they were just a bunch of idiots. But... 
what was the thing that they realized lastly? Where did they find their confidence? Well, they found it from being with Jesus, people recognizing. They found it from being with Jesus. And in order to have this kind of confidence, my friends, I'm telling you this morning, the only way we can find it is when we are with Jesus. Because when we're with him, everything changes. Not to say our life gets immediately easier, like, like things just start, just butterflies and roses, and it's amazing, and wow, my life's good. But it's not, our life's not going to get easier. It's probably going to get harder. In fact, Jesus said, man, you're going to suffer all kinds of ways. And James said in First James, he said, count all joy when you find yourself in all kinds of trials and sufferings. You know, our life isn't necessarily going to get easier when we're Jesus. But everything changes. Because in the midst of it all, we can be confident knowing that Jesus will never leave us or never forsake us. So the question I have for us, when people look at us, what do they see? Do they see our great clothes, our great careers, our, our wealth, our training, our ability, or our degrees, or our achievements, or do they recognize that we've been with Jesus? Because here's the thing that I realized. I thought I used to be able to impress God with like, what's up, I can recite John 3.16, you know what it is? Everybody, you know, maybe you don't know that, but it's kind of like our theme verse as a Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever believes in him shall not. Hey, I thought I could impress God, like, sup, my church attendance is flawless. My parents made me go, but you didn't see that. Like, I thought I could, like, impress God, but the truth is, is that as much as he loves the calling that he's put on your life, whatever vocational calling it is, it, it doesn't, you know, necessarily impress God. Like Martha. She was doing the work in the kitchen. Remember that story when Jesus was over at Martha and Mary's house? She was doing the work in the kitchen, trying to prove herself probably, trying to be like, ah, I can work. I can do this. I can make it on my own. But what did Jesus say? Mary, you've chosen the better option. Where was Mary? At Jesus' feet. Martha was trying to prove her worth, prove her love. Man, one thing we, I figured out that I cannot do is earn God's love. I just can't. We just can't. And I'm not saying like a career is bad or dressing good is bad or being successful is bad. Do that. Use your influence. But if our confidence in who we are comes from the things that we've achieved, then we're going to have to maintain our confidence by the things we achieve. If we build it on our own, we're going to have to maintain it on our own. But if we receive it from God as a gift, who we are, our identity, our confidence, then we don't keep it. He keeps it for us. He keeps it for you when you're nervous at work to tell your friends about Jesus. When you're wondering, man, what's my purpose? Man, he'll keep you confident. When you're, when you're scared to go and pray for that person on the street, he'll give you confidence if you get it from him. So what are we confident in? Where do we find our identity? We find it from what Jesus did on the cross that day. How he gave us access to our heavenly father. And we take our rightful place as a son or a daughter. And maybe you know that in theory. You know that in your head. Like, yo, what's up? I'm a child of God. Like, you know that. But have you experienced that every day in your heart? There is a difference between knowing it in theory and experiencing it. 
And perfect love casts out all fear. And fear plagues this world. And when we know we're loved by a father. And I love what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He uses this very specific word. This word adoption. And what that means in the Hebrew language. We understand it in our culture. But in the Hebrew and Jewish culture. What it meant was that. If, if say per se I was a, a natural born son to my father. And I, I just did some silly things. And he was disappointed. He could legally kick me out of his family. But adoption. If God adopted you, or if somebody adopted you, nothing that you could do could ever get you removed from that family because that person chose you. And that's the revelation I want you to understand this morning is that God has chosen you. In Romans 5, it says, even while you were a sinner, even while you were an enemy of God, he sent his son to reconcile humanity to himself. Man, he doesn't, he met, I was about to say, he doesn't care about your faults. I mean, I mean, he forgives them, definitely cares about them. Uh, He wants us to grow past that. But he sees you and he loves you regardless. Regardless. He sees you and he loves you regardless because you're his son or you're his daughter that he's chosen. You're his son or his daughter that he has chosen. And when our identity is in that, we don't got to prove ourselves anymore. We don't got to earn, like, work our way up the podium in the rat race of life. Like, I got to be better. I got to have more money. I got to have whatever. Like, like, fill in the blank what it is for you. We don't got to prove ourselves. Because if we're trying to do that, if we're trying to do that, the moment, you know, say if it's in your career, we lose our job, where's our identity? It's gone. Man, who am I? I've, I've, I've known lots of friends that have lost a job, and they're like, or they were an athlete, and they, they got an injury. They're like, oh, who am I? I had a professional basketball player come chat with me. He's like, I want to know what you have because I blew out my knee. And he doesn't play in the NBA, but he plays overseas, and he makes hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he blew out his knee. He's like, I don't know who I am, but I see what's in you. And the question I have for us is when people look at us, who do they see? Because when we live our life From what Jesus has done for us, everything changes. When we live our life from who he has made us, everything changes. When we live our life on his confidence and not our own, everything changes. But the key to all of this is we got to be with Jesus. We just have to. And I'm not necessarily talking, yes, I'm talking about Sunday morning church. We prioritize that. That's good. Keep doing that. We need to gather together. But more so what I'm talking about is By yourself, alone, with your thoughts, and with Jesus. Because that's where the roots are birthed. That's where the plant grows. I'm not saying you you can't learn something from us. I'm not saying you can't, like, learn something from your church. Of course you can. That's that's a no-brainer. But if... And students, I'm probably talking to you for most part right in this moment. But if you continue to own your faith off of somebody else's faith, like your parents, or for us, if you if you, if the the amount that you pursue God is the you know the amount like you see or whatever, if we don't take ownership of our own relationship with God, now we're just going to be a bunch of people sitting in pews. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. I love church. I love what we do here, and the goal is to encourage us. But in order to become an unstoppable movement, we need to be immovable. And how are we immovable? By being planted in the, in the heart of God. 
by being planted and firmly have a firm foundation in the heart of God. And the only way we can do that is if we spend time with Jesus. That's the only day. The moment we become an unstoppable church is the moment that we don't let anything stop us from being with Jesus. When we're with Jesus, we catch the mission, the spirit, and the movement. We catch what he called us to as a Christians, to be a part of the Great Commission. And the only thing really that's going to stop us is ourselves, is our comfort zone. This is what we're called to be, friends, is an unstoppable movement. I don't know about you, but if you look around and maybe you've been in church for a few years, I mean, just a question, do you see more people in church or do you see less people in church? Do you see more people coming to Jesus out of your friend group or do you see less? Because at least for me, I'll speak for me, I'll just be honest, and I have had way more friends fall away from the church than come to it. And I've been asking myself, why is that? And I want to take on that ownership. Like, do I save people? No. Do you save people? No. Take the pressure off of that. But do I have a part to play in them man, maintaining the faith and loving God? Absolutely. You can encourage people. I can encourage people. I can be there for when they're hurt. Because that's most of the reason why they're gone is because they're hurt. And when I look at the church, when I look at what we're called to be, I see a massive difference. And I'm not putting this on you. I'm putting this on me. I need to take ownership first. I see a massive difference from then, from what the early church did to what we're doing today. I mean, these people were losing their lives. And I'm not saying that we need to go get martyred. And if God calls you to do that, man, that's the greatest way to go out. Just being honest, maybe that's scary, but to give your life for Jesus as he gave it for us, man, that's, a, that's an honorable way. But these people were laying it all down. The amount of money they were giving, they were selling their homes, they were selling their estates, they were donating everything to the poor, they were making sure that the widow and the orphan were taken care of. And when I look at my life, I'm like, oh, man, I got a long way to go. I'm just being honest. I got a long way to go. But the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I want what he wants. And I know you guys wouldn't be here. I know that each and every one of you want to see revival. I know that each and every one of you want to see God move. You want to see your neighbor saved. You want to see your coworkers come to know Jesus. You want to see the young people of this city be impacted by the love of God. You want to see this church packed full of new believers. You want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. We want that. But are we willing to do what's required to see that? Are we willing to reprioritize our life to be with Jesus? Because when we're with Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Our heart, our motivation in life, why we exist changes. Sorry. Because we catch his heart. We catch the spirit, the mission, the movement. Of Jesus. How much time do you spend with him? If you're honest. If you're honest. We're all about honesty here. You don't have to tell your neighbor. But if I were honest with you, the majority of my life, it was like 30 seconds. Yo, God, help me on this test. It was was like, yo, God, like, I got a cold. Help me. (coughs) Sorry. He 
kill God, like, ah, I sinned, I messed up again, please forgive me, and then snoring, like, out, like, the majority of my life was, you know, slim to none. But God's been challenging me. How much time do you spend with me? And as I close, as Claire comes up, I could see two things maybe prohibiting you from doing this. And these are just some practical things that I want to work out because, again, our heart is to become an unstoppable church. Our heart is to change the world. God's heart for you is that you can change nations, that you can be a history maker, that you can change your community, that you can change the atmosphere in your workplace, that you can see signs, wonders, and miracles done through your prayers, that you can see the world transformed. That's his heart for you. And if you didn't know that, I hope you hear that. His heart for you isn't just to live a mediocre, average life. And just hang out. It's hard for you isn't just to like attend church and be a spectator. It's hard for you is to be a participator in the mission, the spirit, and the movement. That's as hard for you. And I could see a couple things preventing us from, from, from being with Jesus and catching this heart. The first thing, if we're honest, sometimes we just can't hear him. Sometimes we can't feel him. Has anybody ever been there? me and a few people? Have you ever felt like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling? Like, bing! <laughs> like, God, are you out there? Hello? Do you love me? It's like, we just can't hear back. And for a lot of young people, I work with students, and this is the main thing why they don't pursue their relationship with God, because they feel like they can't hear back. But if you're in that spot, hearing God's voice is a skill, and any skill can be acquired. And Jesus said, Your sheep, his sheep will know his voice. But in order to do that, it takes practice. You don't try your way into a relationship with God. You train your way into a relationship with God. For example, Tyler, amazing guitar, great tone, can shred, got all the chords, sounds amazing. You see the finished product, and, and what, but what you don't see is that thousands upon thousands of hours, he used to be my roommate, and I would hear him late at night, just like practicing the scales, like grammatic scale, A scale, B scale, D scale. Like he would be practicing, practicing, practicing. And what if at one point when his fingers were bleeding and he's, ah, I can't figure out that, but what if he gave up? Where would he be at? He probably wouldn't be on this stage. But he never gave up. And sometimes we look at other people like, I want their relationship with God. But are you willing to pay the price that they paid for it? In practice. In practice. So the best advice I heard if you're in that spot where you can't hear God is oftentimes God's voice sounds like your own. God was speaking to me for years. And I just thought it was my own thoughts. If it's good, if it lines up with scripture, and it's probably something God would say, my guess is that it's God. So don't doubt it. The devil's gonna try to twist your thoughts like, no, that's not God, that's you. But he told me that I'm loved. No, that's not God, that's you. But he told me that I'm worthy. No, that's like, he'll try to twist your thoughts. But just believe that if it lines up with scripture and it relates to what you're asking him about, more than likely it's God. So I wanna encourage you, keep going with that. But the second thing, and I'm just gonna be honest, 
The second thing that gets in the way of me spending time with Jesus is this little word called busy. It's like, it's like Calgary's motto. It's like, hey, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Busy. It's like, like hey, you want to hang out next weekend? Busy. Do you want to hang out with me at all? Man, I'm busy. Like, do you like me? I'm busy. Like, you know, it's like, do you want to serve at church on Sunday? Busy. Like, do you want to serve in the kids' ministry? Busy. Like, it, we've all said it if we're just honest. And there's no condemnation for it because I do understand that life is busy. Unless you're like zero to 10 and you're just like worried about candy and and like whether you can like not pee on the seat or anything like that. Like it, life is busy. And, And it, I mean, you should see the amount of homework teachers are giving out to students these days. Like two to three hours after a six hour day home. Man, if you're in college, it's like triple that. Plus you got to pay for school. Plus you got to work. Plus you got to have a social life. Man, it's busy, man. If you're a parent, I'm not a parent, but I'm not looking forward to being one. But man, the amount of like stuff y'all got to carry. It's crazy. One kid, two kid, three kid, four kid. Are you like the Milners with seven? Seven kids? Is that, is that right? Seven, the number of completion. I hope you guys are done. But, uh, Man, imagine got to cart the kids to soccer, to band practice, to chess practice, to dance, to, you know, and all, if you're a mom you gotta, or a dad, you got to cook, clean, do the lawn, do laundry, and somehow still have time for yourself. Life's busy, if we're honest. <laughs> it's busy. But if you're in that spot, we all have the same amount of time, and somehow some people can figure out the time to spend with Jesus. Man, Dr. Penny, she is busy, but man, that chick spends time with the Lord. That's why she's going on tons of mission trips, because she's caught God's heart. If you're in that spot, what I encourage you to do is James Smith calls it a liturgical audit. And basically what liturgy means is worship, and an audit means is taking inventory, and we worship things with our time. So if you want to spend time with Jesus, I'd encourage you to then worship him with your time as well, not just on Sunday morning at church. So an audit is an inventory. So what I'd encourage you to do is take inventory of your life from Sunday to Saturday, from the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep. Write down everything that you've done. And then one by one, little by little, sub out the things that don't bring you life. And if we're honest, there's a few things, I'll be honest. Netflix probably doesn't bring me closer to God. Social media probably doesn't bring me closer to God. Sports definitely brings me closer to God. Fantasy football I just, man, I just rely on Jesus for that, man. Wow. Feel the presence. Open heavens over my fantasy football season this year, God. But, no, it probably doesn't bring me closer to God if I'm honest. Man, if I read the amount that I read of a poem, fantasy football, I could read the Bible like six times in a year. Sheesh. Man, if, if, sub out one thing for maybe things like this. Spending time with Jesus could look like prayer. Could look like Bible memorization and reading. Could look like serving at your church. Could look like volunteering at the Dream Center, the Mustard Seed, or M House. Could look like um, silence and solitude. That's the thing that I've been doing a lot these days. Jesus did it all the time. He would sneak away and just be silent. I mean, when's the last time you were just silent? Again, life's busy, but finding time just to be alone with your thoughts decompressed. I don't like being alone. I'm an extrovert. I love people, but God's like, but you can learn something from being alone. Students, like, when the last time, when's the last time you were bored? Like, get bored once in a while, and just, like, be alone with your thoughts. It's almost impossible to just pull your phone out, but 
be with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus, you become unstoppable. For if God is for us, who can be against us? Though the, though the enemy may raise up weapon, weapons against you, no weapon shall prosper. I could go down the list of verses that say God is with you. For nothing can separate us from his love, Romans 8, 36. Recite the verses that you need to be reminded that God is with you and that he's for you. And be with him and catch his heart. So as Claire just worships, I'd encourage you, man, take inventory. Evaluate where you're at. Ask God, God, are we cool? Unless you're a monk and you spend all your time with Jesus, my guess is we could probably spend more time with Jesus. And that's not a condemning thing. That's an opportunity because we want to change the world here at First Assembly. So why don't we all stand? Let's pray. It's not a, it's not a pressure thing. It's a get-to thing. Jesus isn't mad if, you, if you're busy. He's not like, what the heck? He just wants to spend time with his son and his daughter. God just wants to spend time with you. Man, the creator of this universe wants to spend time with you. And he doesn't have his iPhone out. He doesn't have his paper out. He doesn't have the TV on when he's spending time with you. He looks at you in the eyes. He wants to tell you he loves you and that he's for you. And maybe you're in this room and you know that, but maybe you're in this room and you don't know Jesus at all. And you want this kind of confidence that you know you could change the world. Well, Jesus wants to meet with you. And Pastor Ben's going to lead us in a prayer in a moment. But God, we just thank you. You've called us to be an unstoppable church, a city-reaching church. And Father, I pray we would count the cost, that we would pick up our cross and follow him, that we would catch your heart by being with you, and we'd find the confidence then to do the work that you've called us to. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we want to be with you. We want to. I know everybody in here wants to. So just help us with that, God.